Welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are back for another international tourney debrief. We absolutely love to see it. We've had the quarterfinals in the Euros. We've had some winners in some of the other continental tournaments. We're heading into the pointy end of others. So there is plenty to talk about. It's going to be another high quality ding dong of a podcast. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you have me, Marissa Lordanik, Samantha Lewis, and from a car park somewhere in Chesterfield, Angela Christian Wilkes joins us once again. So like I said, we have a whole heap that has been going on. We're cracking straight into match chat because these four semi uh, quarterfinals rather at the Euros. Even though we spoke a big game about maybe there being some blowouts, maybe there being some like ridiculous performances, we had, let's be honest, four very tight games, four games that threw up so many questions, so many spanners into the works, and four just really bloody enjoyable games. So let us start with England v Spain. This one was insanity it was it was like Spain finally showed up to the tournament England were rattled for seemingly the first time properly since showing kind of little glimpses of it in that opening game against Austria but at the end of it all England are through to the semi-finals and Spain legally dropped BS from their name for a night and really truly were in pain so let's talk about this game Sam England Spain talk to me thoughts feelings vibes Oh my God, what a game. What a game. You know, like I I was sitting there watching it in probably halfway through the second half and I was like, this is going to be one of those games. You know what I mean? This is going to be one of those games that you remember for a really, really long time. I was just getting that kind of energy from it when England started to really come back into it. And it, it, it turned out to be probably, and maybe we even said this in our preview pod, like so far, this has been the game of the tournament. It was so tense and so fascinating. And it was exactly, I think, the kind of game that we all wanted between these two nations, you know, a Spain side who have this golden generation, a Spain side who play absolutely stunning football, uh, who maybe hadn't shown it consistently thus far, but came into this, I think, feeling like they were the underdogs and wanting to prove themselves. And I think that was what really drove them. And that first half was stunning from Spain. I think that was probably their best first half of football that I've seen, not just in the Euros, but for a while as well. They were glorious. And England, you're right, Marissa, they were completely rattled. They didn't know how to respond to this. They, I think the way that I described it in in my um, my analysis piece was that Spain did to England what England does to other teams, which is just completely overpower and overwhelm them. You know, I you saw players usually who were quite calm and um, and 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 mature, like players like Lucy Bronze, like losing her mind towards the back end of the first half because stuff just wasn't working. They just weren't connecting passes. They like they barely got time on the ball. They weren't able to do the stuff that they had been doing so consistently throughout the Euros so far. And it felt like they didn't quite know how to respond to that. 
And I think that's where come half time when it was still nil nil and it honestly probably shouldn't have been. I reckon Spain probably should have been ahead by at least one goal at that point. I think that's when the influence of head coaches really comes into play. I think Serena Weigman sat these England players down and said exactly what needed to be said to them for them to come out and respond in the way that they did. And we started to see after Spain scored the opening goal in the 50, I think third minute, um, I, I went through another piece of genius coaching, the substitution of, of that incredible Real Madrid winger on the right-hand side who just absolutely tore, <laughs> tore it to shreds. She was incredible. Um, you started to sort of see England um, find like a, a different level that we hadn't really seen them need to find so far, perhaps because it was the first goal that they'd conceded all tournament. They were behind for the first time in a really long time. And so they had to sort of dig deep and, and I know it's a cliche, but they had to dig deep and, and find that, that other gear. And they did. And their substitutes really helped in that regard as well. I think that Alessia, Alessia Russo was, was really important. Chloe Kelly was really important. And obviously Ella Toon, you know, she, I think completely changed that midfield and it was very, it was very alien to watch an England midfield with, you know, someone like Fran Kirby and who, who just was nowhere. She just did absolutely nothing for the first time that I've seen in, in ages. So I think big credit needs to go to Serena Weigman for making that call in such a high pressure moment to take off someone like Kirby and throw on someone like Ella Toon, who, you know, it, it completely paid off. And yeah, this, like this game was incredible. And I'm so glad that we have Angela here because I want to know what it was like in that stadium. Like the videos coming out of that game were extraordinary. Angela, what was it like? Well, um, I can't really speak to, what it was like before the game because I got there just on kickoff. I I was at the beach having beers. What can I what can I say? All right. I was my game day prep was on point. Uh I've changed my mind about Brighton Beach. I quite like the pebbles because you don't feel dirty afterwards. And it does not smell like weed, like me speech. Um so that's a bonus, you know? It's a bonus. Enough about me, about the game. So the that first goal from Spain, so awkward. Just like, because it was like, it was about, ni- I would say 90% of the stadium was either England fans or people who were just like, well, I can't, I can't cheer for Spain right now. This is, and, and so the goal went in and it kind of was like, was that a goal? Like, did that happen? Because there was so little, you know, noise in response to it, but you could see Spain running over to their little corner to celebrate. Um, but yeah, and but the atmosphere around that, I think that tension kind of contributed to it being an even more exciting game because they were just like, every time England kind of got near the ball or they made a, a good pass or something like that, there was like a response from the crowd. And I was in a relatively, uh, not a ne- neutral section, but I wasn't in the like, end or like a dedicated space for England supporters but it was all England supporters and the kids like the kids in front of me they were getting into it hardcore like everyone was into it it was like a really 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 fantastic game and Brighton is quite a large I think Brighton was the perfect size it was packed out and it was just yeah it was an incredible game I don't know it the atmosphere was fantastic um just made a friend. Um, I don't know if I can say much more than that, but it was like, it was lit. 
it was good. But um, and then yeah, the the atmosphere after both of the goals, I mean, yeah, crazy. I think it was better in a lot of ways than the opening game. You know what I mean? Because there was so much more on the line, even though the opening game was so much noisier in terms of horns. There's a lot of there was a lot of horns at the opening game, but yeah, this this was great. Um, and I'm trying to think if there was anything else special to comment on in terms of nah, it was just good. Also, I will say the the training top, the fluoro, no, no, not the training top, the away kit, the the bright England away kit looks real nice when it's like dotted through the crowd. I quite like that. I thought that was a good choice from whoever decides what colour the kits are. Um, as opposed to the Netherlands where it looks like shit <laughs> in the crowd. Have I said that yet? Yeah, probably. Would you not have said it in your little um, roundup of the home kits over on our TikTok yeah. and Instagram, the Far Post Pod? Yes, I did. I did. But my, my take that the Netherlands kit this year, the fluoro one, was too bright against the orange, whereas the bright red uh, scarlet colour of the England kit against the other kind of tones is very more. That's what dropped it. But yeah, um, it's just, yeah. Good game, good game. I did kind of, I, I will admit, if this had been any other team, I would have been rooting for Spain, but I just, I simply couldn't go for Spain in the circumstances. I was, I went to the friend, like went to the game with a friend and I, I think that she would have left me in hot, like full, full mark. Oh yeah, after the game, I got lost again, tried to take a shortcut. Turns out it wasn't a shortcut. It was just like a loop around the bush. The England equivalent of the bush, the thicket. It was just a very scenic tour of the thicket. Anyway, <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't. We will get like to the Netherlands and being shit, looking shit later. But we'll stick with England, Spain, just for li- a little bit longer. I feel like, and there were some really excellent pieces on ESPN.com.au. There was one, um, I'm pretty sure it was from Friend of the Pod, Kathleen, about how important Alessia Russo and Ella Toon had been as those game changers, those super subs in the group stage and whether there was a case to be made for them to actually start. They didn't. Serena Weidman's very steadfast in her kind of starting 11 sort of decisions. But as you kind of mentioned, Sam, the literal game changers in this case were Toon, Russo and Chloe Kelly when... They come on. So there was a really interesting piece on ESPN.com.au talking too fast. There was also then another piece, obviously, just there's a lot of excitement out of all the kind of England media, the English media about what could be, what could happen, blah, 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 coming home. You, you know the shtick. But the kind of other, uh, I suppose, question that came out of a game and the way that the game unfolded particularly was that, England were forced to show real grit and determination in going down, in not having things go their own way, in those first choice players not producing as they had done in the first three group games. So is this one of those, and it feels kind of cliche to say it, but it is a thing, is this one of those games that England had to have to maybe realise how precarious tournament football is, how it doesn't always go their own way? Is this a game they needed to experience? Yes, I think absolutely, because once you get to the pointy end of tournaments like this, you're going to come up against teams like what England are going to be coming up against in the semi-final in Sweden, where 
it's it's almost like glancing into a mirror it's it's a mirror version of themselves and you need to go through moments like this in order to figure out what your limitations are in those moments so that you can therefore prepare to confront them again later on so i think that's that was a really key part of this um for England in a technical sense in like when they don't have the ball and what they look like when they don't have the ball because for the last really for the last 10 months under Weigman they have not played a game where they haven't been the dominant team in possession uh, this is really the first time and it, and it was quite pronounced particularly in the first half and you could see that they were rattled by that because they couldn't they hadn't had the kind of match experience to be able to really figure out how to control another team and the spaces in which they played with the ball because they always had it. And so they could always determine space on their own accord. So that was really fascinating to watch unfold the, the various ways in which they tried to do that. Um, and I think, but more to the point, I think what was so um, riveting and so inspiring about England's performance overall for particularly for England fans was like the fire it was the belief that they had in themselves you know they hadn't had to they, they haven't been called upon to find that and use that as fuel until this game really and you have to sort of wonder what what the sort of fallout would have been had the had things not gone their way or you know remembering as well that this is a Spain side without two of their highest goal scorers Elena Alexia Pateas and Jenny Hermoso imagine if they had been there imagine what would have happened you know like it could have actually been a, a Spain slaughtering of England and I I wonder what they would have done to the the, the, the sort of the fragile mind frame of England fans and media when it comes to their national teams. I feel like it would have been fascinating. Um, but, but yeah, but, but that, that's not the reality. That's not the timeline that we're in. We're in this one. And this was a, an England team, which I think like when, when we sort of previewed the Euros and we talked about this England team on paper, they looked the strongest and they looked the strongest, not just in terms of what we assumed would be their starting 11, but also in terms of the depth of their bench. And I think that this is the game that really proved that. Like we saw it in the, in the group games, but this was the game that you actually saw what these bench players are capable of producing when they're called upon. And that undoubtedly gives all like the entire squad I think a new, um, a new appreciation of what they are and a, a new sort of reckoning with um, how, how good they actually are across all players, all levels in all moments. Um, so it's going to be, I, I reckon this was sort of the, 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 the butting up against the wall game for them. And I think they'll probably learn a lot from this going into the semi-final against Sweden. And I have a feeling that they'll actually play better against Sweden than what they did against Spain because they played that way against Spain, if that makes sense. I was, I just wanted to point out, I guess, as well, in terms of the coaching decisions, um, the, a lot of people were quite critical of, okay. And I just want to say, I, I went to the article, the how to pronounce names article, so I could pronounce this player's name correctly, right? And what UEFA have done, they've simply removed all the teams that are no longer in the tournament. It's like, you don't need to say their names now. They don't exist. <laughs> so it's just like the semi-finalists. So, they're dead to us. <laughs> they're dead to us. So I'm so sorry if I say her name incorrectly. So, was it Sorregi? 
Sorry, Yuki. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, Caldente came off and Sorregi came on. And I saw on Twitter people quite critical of this because um, Vilda had not given her any substantial minutes this tournament, but she was brought on kind of to save the day and obviously displayed a lot of nerves. And so that was one of the things that was like, in terms of like Serena Wagman making very spot on subs and then Vilda kind of making a sub that didn't make sense or perhaps that he hadn't thought through completely, but perhaps he didn't even think that they would go into extra time, which would, I, I assume, be almost arrogant in a lot of ways. But so I do I do feel for Sereki. Again, I'm so sorry if I'm saying that wrong. I'll do better next time. But also I, I partially blame UEFA here for taking away this valuable resource for numpties like me. Anyway, so that's that that was kind of an interesting moment, I think, in terms of what could have been. And Studs also tweeted about, um, I thought it was quite funny, they're like, just bring the Huns on. Like they put the Huns on. I don't know if um, our listeners are familiar with what a Hun is, but I really recommend you check out Huns FC on Instagram because it will really convey. But basically England brought on the Huns and they won the game. Um, and I think even though we didn't do a year love to see it, we we're, we all agree Stanway's goal was, you know, a year love to see it, right? What a cracking goal. That was just spectacular. Um, and I think, yeah, what a player she's been. I think very consistent this tournament. We've seen, I, I guess as well, the other choice was like Beth Mead came off quite early. Um, and that's, I guess, a tough choice because she's a crowd favourite again. You don't want to see that, but she she wasn't able to do anything. She was really pushed out of the game. So, again, as Sam said earlier, a lot of credit to Serena Wagner in terms of the decision she made in this game to influence that final outcome. Yeah, I think it's actually really worth talking about Spain's fullbacks because I think they were really, really, really good, particularly in this game. Ona Batia plays for Manchester United, absolutely destroyed Beth Mead like she uh, in her pocket like Caitlin Ford barter type of areas of of owner like that was really incredible and and Olga Carmona as well on the on the other side like she had the best game at fullback that I have ever seen her play and one of the best games of fullback of any fullback I think so far in the Euros like she was so feisty she was so on the ball all the time she made the correct decisions all the time the both of them were just fantastic and it's sort of no um no surprise to me I suppose that that both uh, you know Lauren Hemp and Beth Mead really struggled against those two players like in the first half the Hemp Batia like Man City Man United battle was so so good and I think Ono came out of that as the victor because eventually Hemp sort of had to be switched switch wings effectively because she just couldn't get past her. So that was really incredible. Um, and the substitution as well of, of um, Athenia, Athenia, I don't know how to pronounce it either, but, but the, the Real Madrid winger, she was a complete game changer and she absolutely tore Rachel Daly to shreds. I thought that was incredible. Um, but like outside of that, I think the, I'm, I'm so, I'm so pleased for Georgia Stanway. I'm so pleased because she's sort of been around for a long time. Like I remember watching Georgia Stanway and Lauren Hemp even in like the under twenties women's world cup, uh, like years and years and years ago. And they were really good then. And they both sort of went to Man City, but the last sort of season, I suppose, season and a bit Stanway 
has sort of fallen down the pecking order in in clubland and she's you know just got this move to Bayern Munich and perhaps that's the reason because she doesn't feel like she's maybe being given opportunities at Man City or not being played in ways that she wants to be played um, in order to progress and you know as you said Angela she's been really consistent throughout this Euros and like a really mature kind of player I feel like the Georgia Stanway that we used to know was like the Stanway who two foots people all the time and gets basically a yellow card every single time she sets on the field, you know, but she, like, she's been so mature and so consistent under Weigman in this Euros. And I'm so glad that she gets this moment for her because she's always been a really good player and she's always had talent like this. And I just, I just love the, the audacity of just being like, because in that you could see her, the, the cogs moving in her mouth, in her mind when she had the ball, she turned, she started to charge towards the top of the box. You saw Lauren Hemp peel out right and you were like, well, clearly that's the pass. That's the pass that's on. You know, she's got some space in behind, she'll whip it in. But Stanway sort of like you saw her look to Hemp and then you saw her look back towards goal. You saw that one of the Spanish players, I think, just took one step to the wing and Georgia was like, well, let's fucking go then. And she just absolutely leathered it. And it was so the camera angle of it was beautiful. I, I, I screamed when she scored it. It was like Amandine Henri Champions League final types of worldies. It was incredible. It was such a great moment. And I'm so jealous, Angela, that you got to be there in that stadium for it because it's just, it sounded like it blew the roof off. If I was Muppy Leon, I simply would have shut Georgia Stanway down, but maybe I am simply a footballing genius. We'll never know. We'll never know. Um, but God, that as you said, Angela, collective, you love to see it. The Georgia Stanway goal, so good. Jonathan Liu's piece on it in the Guardian, absolutely sensational piece of writing. If you want to go read that, you also mentioned Sam there, Rachel Daly. Talk about like just not having a good day at the office. Someone else who did not have a good day at the office. Austrian goalkeeper Manuela Zinsberger. The poor, you just you feel bad for it because God, the goalkeepers have been good this tournament, but Manuela was like, I've got to remind everyone that sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. It was really unfortunate. Germany were two nil winners over Austria, and both of Germany's goals could be, you know, linked back to just that tiny little Zinsberger error, which. You know, the Germans will punish you if you give them that opportunity. We've known this for literal years. They have continued to show it in this Euros. It unfortunately is what it is. Angela, do you have thoughts on poor Manuela and just how ruthless Germany were to pounce on these mistakes? Mm, I just, it, it felt like, yeah, like you said, a bit of deja vu because we, this was at Brentford um, Stadium again and, uh, I was there with my friend Yulia. We saw the same kind of mistake happen, like what only a few days ago. Maybe I I can't tell what day it is, what time what time is at this point. In, but you know, like in terms of the Spain goal that happened, Panos, you know, pooed the bed in a similar way. And you know, I think it's that kind of thing. Like a lot of other teams and a lot of other opposition, you might get away with that, but with Germany, they're just They've got such, they're fit and they're clinical and they will, and that's just like a ruthless combination when it comes to these kinds of mistakes. Like, and I think it was interesting, yeah, watch it pan out because it's like, yeah, they'll do that. 
you know what I mean? Like Germany, that Germany have definitely been the most consistent team. This wasn't a particularly surprising result in terms of how it all unfolded. Um, and yeah, that'll happen. It feels yeah, and I will say, I guess because Zinsberg has been so good this tournament, there has been quite a lot of. I think I said I said that she like she's the reason they got through. And it kind of makes sense that she, it's not that she's the reason that they're out, but she her performance a lot rested on that. So it feels feel a little bit sad about that in terms of that's what it almost came down to. I mean, Austria did have a chance, I was going to say, very early on in the first half um, of this game that potentially could have shifted it. But it's one of those things, I think it was like the, like the two other quarterfinals, yeah, you have a chance, but how many chances does the opposition have? Um and also with, the, I think, the slight difference as well. I know, Sam, you have a, a take on this. The slight difference between this and we've discussed the other quarterfinals is also Germany don't have, like, shots upon shots upon shots or opportunities upon opportunities, even though they were piling on the pressure this game. It's more that, that it is that thing of, like, what they do with those opportunities uh, and the, which opportunities they take. And uh, usually it's the ones that will, you know, give goalkeepers nightmares for life, apparently. So... There we go. I'd, it was again a great, a great game. Um, the German fans are just unhinged. Well, not unhinged actually. I would say I really like. I was going to say there's kind of like a trend with this. Um, uh, I think with some of the fans, like there's nations who have smaller pockets of fans than say your Germany's and your Sweden's, but the, those fans are go like so much harder. And I think that's definitely the case with Austria and Belgium. And I don't know if you guys saw the footage of the the Austrian fan who was just like painted all in red. He was like a devil. He was, he went all out. And like the Austrian fans, they, yeah, they had this little section that were just doing so much work and um, made so much noise comparative to like how much of the stadium was neutrals and German fans. You really got to give them credit. So shout out to the Nuffs out there who showed up for their teams in, in small but powerful numbers. I really appreciated that about this tournament and I've loved seeing it. Anyway, that was a journey for you all. Yeah, you're totally right, Angela. I was going to say the same thing about Zinsberger. Like she has been crucial for Austria to get this far and that's why it's sort of doubly heartbreaking that it was sort of her two errors two of the only errors really that she's made all tournament has led to them bombing out in the quarterfinal stage as well um and it was such a it's yeah I mean we'll sort of we'll talk about this a little bit later but it's such a contrast to the goalkeeping generally in this Euros because it's been overall I think quite incredible outside of just a couple of like absolute brain fart moments like it has consistently been I think the best goalkeeping that I've seen in a women's tournament, really, like it's been so impressive. Um, but I, like to your point, Angela, about Germany and shots and being clinical, I, I think you're right. Because like when you look at the stats, even though Germany did outshoot Austria, they only had five on target. But the, what, the ones that they did have on target, they converted two of them, you know. So they might not have the same number of um, like really clear cut chances as what happened in the other two quarterfinals with Sweden and France, but the ones that they did have, they capitalized on them 
to a greater extent than Sweden and France did. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of devastating to see Austria go. I thought that they, um, they, they, them and Belgium were sort of the two teams that we didn't really know a huge amount about. They were the two teams we didn't have many expectations of nor most people I think had very many expectations of them, but I thought that they were both so impressive. I was particularly impressed with Austria. I was impressed with how organized they were. I was impressed with how choreographed they were. They were really disciplined. They were really like really well set up. They really knew their strengths and they really played to them. Um, And yeah. And it's just great to see another woman head coach, you know, it's sort of building a team and putting out performances like that over the course of this tournament. So yeah, I mean, I, like no one's surprised that Germany got through, I don't think. Um, sort of great to see Germany getting to the semifinals, considering lots of people sort of wrote them off, I think, before this tournament kicked off. So it's it's good to see them in performance mode because it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing to watch, even though it is kind of terrifying. I just also want to brag about something real quick. So I went on friend of the pods pod. Does that make sense? Anyway. I was flaky and I went on a second pod last. Oh, Soren, just a few. What's happening? Hello? Uh, did you guys hear that? <laughs> anyway, I haven't had my ADHD meds, guys. It's all over the place. I made a prediction on a, like the 40 yard switch, my Wilbur and Jasper's pod. Anyway, they, the, score line and I got it almost 100% correct. So the only thing that I didn't get correct was I said Pop was going to score with her head. So I said that Magul and Pop were going to score and that it was going to be 2 0. I'm a genius. I'm a genius. <laughs> and that's as far as it's gone. My uh, Sweden Belgium prediction, it was, she's uh, dra- drastically wrong. So wrong. Um, but, you know, I was, man- I was manifesting. I said that at the time. I was manifesting a Belgian win. Uh, anyway, maybe that's a good sign to move on before I burst into tears this game I'm glad you mentioned her Alex Pop I now believe in Alex Pop supremacy I am all about it I love her I want good things for her she's now the first person to score in four consecutive games at a women's Euros it's a ridiculous stat and we all know the story that she this is literally her first Euros she missed 2013 and 2017 so for her to to want something for so long and for it to not only like happen, but go well for her, like just a delicious storyline. Absolutely love to see it. Clara Bull, it made me laugh. She had a really wide open goal to aim at and somehow missed it. But then the replay was up on the big screen and the uh, camera cut to her and she was having a, a little embarrassed giggle. And it was like, you can afford to do that when you ultimately end up winning 2-0. I'm sure if it had been a different scoreline, she wouldn't have found it as kind of, haha, that was so silly of me. Oh my God. Like, But it was very amusing for the rest of us. And just Jesus Christ, the woodwork got a, a workout in this one. They were pinging them left, right, and center. Yeah, the tournament, truly. Woodwork. Go and on. Germany. She was having a great game. She was having a great game. But let's move on to we, uh, Angela just alluded to it. So we had Sweden defeating Belgium 1 0. Linda Sembrandt in injury time. Very, very late winner. As 
you may know if you listen to our last episode, Angela manifested a Belgium win. She's like, I am adopting Belgium. I have decided I am hanging my hat on Belgium. And then they lost. So, Angela, first of all, my condolences. <laughs> Second of all, how are you doing? Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I'm fine. But I was talking about, I can't remember who I was having a chat with about this. Oh, yes. Um, I, made, I made some friends at the tournament. The tote, I just want to say the tote bag, taking the tote bag everywhere has paid off because Amelia, Matt and Sarah, I was sat next to them two games in a row and um, they copped the pink and like looked up the podcast and now now we're friends anyway I was I think it was I was talking to them about this but with Belgium I think it's really important that we 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 tread gently we give them space we uh oh no it was the the Dutch people on the tram maybe I can't remember too many conversations about football it's been a a delightful month um we need to give them space we need to and not put too many expectations on them, right? Because I feel like I don't want to Italy them in terms of, you know, coming into the next big tournament. Hopefully, fingers crossed, they qualify for the World Cup. Um, I think they're pretty close to. Um, but I think that they could be, they've got so much space to go and to grow, but I just don't want the the expectations of them being like the next big underdogs to like hamper them in that space. Um, but in terms of the game itself, I think it, it played out as I expected in a lot of ways. Um, it, it wasn't a surprise that they had to play incredibly defensively. Um, and it wasn't a surprise that Sweden absolutely peppered them with shots. I think it what was the surprise was how, like, first, not that Everard was good, but how good she was. And I know, Marissa, you have the stats on that. But she just had an absolutely killer game. And that's reflected in the fact that Sweden won and she still got player of the match, I think. Um, and I think also just the, yeah, the fact that overall they were able to keep, it wasn't just her. There was a, their defense really put everything on the line to keep Sweden out for that long. Um, and I think it was, I think it, that wasn't a surprise because I think they've shown that they can do that um, at, at the other points in this tournament I think the the France Belgian game is a really great example of the fact that and the fact that they were able to even come back and and push France as much as they did that shone through in this game and that's why I think I like them so much because they just kind of get on with it they don't see they didn't seem to be too stressed they just went in and a lot of people have commented on the fact that for them this is this was the success story like they didn't need to win this game in order to have had an absolutely killer tournament. And I think that's, and I don't know if they were necessarily expecting to win, but it was a fantastic game. And um, yeah, I was a, a friend of the pod, Amy gave me a lift to the game and she was like, I really hope it's not a boring game because some people are kind of expecting it to be boring. And I don't think it was at all. I think we've been spoiled with all of these quarterfinals, but this was the one on paper where you thought, oh, Sweden could easily walk all over Belgium but they didn't and that was beautiful anyway (sighs) I'm sad but anyway like I said also the Belgian fans they're another example of uh, a a small but powerful contingent who get very creative the man in the chicken costume is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to, to Belgium they have some absolutely 
incredible nuffs in their midst. Um, so, yeah, shout out to them and to the Belgium team because <laughs> I think I love you. Anyway, I also bought the – so it's like 5.17. I'm in the Manchester Arndale Mall in the line at JD Sports with, like, the jersey in my hand. And I have to be at the other side of town for 5.25 for Amy to pick me up. And I'm just like, I have made decisions. Yep, I have made decisions. So I had to do scout space all the way there. But it was 100% worth it. I'm very happy with my jersey. Um, very happy with the choices I've made. I'm very happy with the things that I've backed in, even though I'm wrong. I kind of feel about Belgium this tournament the way that I felt about Spain in the 2019 Women's World Cup, which is that it sort of feels like the tournament where they've kind of arrived you know, like like no one sort of knew what to expect of them or what they were about, but this seems to be the one where people are like, oh, so this is this is what this feels like. This is what you are, and this is what you could be, and that's so exciting. You know, like it's it's so it's so good for Belgian football. It's so good for women's football. And when you think about the fact that Belgium are, are like consistently in the top three of the men's national teams you got to wonder at what point, uh, you know, that sort of stuff is going to, is going to elevate and, and sort of bleed over into the women's space. So yeah, I think it's fabulous. I think the story of, of Nikki Everard is just like incredible. She's semi-professional. She works as a bouncy castle operator outside of her football. And she just had maybe the best goalkeeping performance of any goalkeeper at this tournament. You know, like it, it's, it doesn't it just make you wonder how many players are out there who haven't been captured by the game just yet, who have the potential to be like this? How, like, isn't that so exciting? It just, it gives me such a buzz. I'm so jazzed for her. Um, but when you also look at, you know, to your point, Angela, like this was sort of the game where people were expecting it to be a bit of a walkover statistically it sort of was, you know, you look at the, the stats that Sweden had 33 shots to three and in terms of shots on target, Sweden had nine to zero. They had 13 corners to two, you know, like it, it should have been a walkover, but it was this one player who ensured that it wasn't. And Marissa, you can probably rattle off the stats now, just in terms of how genuinely incredible Everard was, because there are so many ways in which, measuring the performance of a goalkeeper is difficult. And we've spoken about this in past episodes about the dub, about Matildas, like how do you actually measure the influence of a goalkeeper? But we're starting to get like statistical tools that really shows how, how good this is. And there was actually a really great story um, in, uh, in the Telegraph in the UK about the fact that women goalkeepers, not just across this tournament, but sort of more generally are, becoming so much better than what they used to be to the point where they're actually making fewer major errors than what they do in the men's game. It's a really interesting sort of emerging field, I think, of analysis. And I'm really excited to see what's going to happen off the back of this tournament because also like it, it reminds me of when I'm pretty sure Karen Bardsley used to be the Lioness's goalkeeper said that she didn't get professional goalkeeping uh, lessons from a goalkeeping coach until she was representing England. Like, like this is such an under-resourced area and such an under-focused area. And it's, it feels like this is sort of the first almost crop of goalkeepers coming out of 
um, professional settings or like a semi-professional settings in, um, in Everard's case, uh, who have really clearly shown that they're benefiting from specialized training. So if this is just the first wave of them, can you imagine what we've got to look forward to? Oh my God. I simply can't wait for the whole, do we need to make the goals smaller, like shtick to die? as these goalkeepers get better and better. But just so shout out to Opta Analysts. Their data visualizations have been so fascinating to me, a a fake stato, someone who thinks she understands statistics and shit but actually doesn't but likes the pretty pictures. Their depiction of um, like how they visualize attacking momentum and stuff has been really interesting. I don't know how they exactly calculate that. I would love to find out, but they've been really interesting. But basically they had a tweet that was based on the quality of shots faced on target for the entire tournament. So the four games that Nikki Evrard was in goal for, the average goalkeeper would have been expected to concede nine more goals than she actually did. She just was an absolute brick wall her goals prevented stat was 8.9 and it's three times higher than the next best goalkeeper at the euros which was mary earps with three so just the the sheer amount of good work she did as a goalkeeper and you know even without that level of kind of goalkeeper specific thing even just hearing 33 shots on goal but only one one nil you're like someone has to be responsible for that and it was Bloody Nikki Everard stopping absolutely everything. We've spoken a lot about Belgium. So just some quick thoughts on Sweden. How do we take this performance? Because, like, it feels very familiar as a Matildas fan to have had a lot of shots on goal. The only thing is that Sweden ultimately got the goal. They got that win. But how do we how do we think about them then heading into a game against England how do we think about them in terms of the wider picture of this Euros how what do we actually take from this game from them because I certainly don't think they've dished up what they probably wanted to and certainly not what we expected from them so any thoughts on where to now kind of for for Sweden much appreciated I I really don't know I just because I, but when we you were asking this question, all I could think of was friend of the pod, Tom, being like, nah, bottle jobs, a lot of them, bottle jobs. And I don't know if that's an accurate take, right? Because they're not. Like, they managed to get the job done and I think they are, they don't seem to, it wasn't even that they were, like, stressing out like England seemed to be doing in that first half against Spain. It was just that they the, the 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 ball wasn't going in the net because as we've discussed, Nikki Everard was there and she was like, no, thank you. <laughs> Not on my watch. But also I just I don't, yeah, I I don't particularly understand. This was the most confusing perhaps performance in a lot of ways for me in terms of the outcome. Um, because they should they should have absolutely like I just I don't, yeah. Sorry, that's not very helpful, but I think it does mean that coming into this game against England, they're going to have a lot to prove. And I don't, I don't, I think that they could potentially come out, you know, guns blazing and really have seen how England sort of set up against Spain and hope for the best that that's going to happen again and and really try to rattle them. But, um, and I do think that Sweden have the kind of, 
tool, toolkit to be able to do that. It's not that they're lacking talent. It's not that they're lacking cohesion or anything like that. I'm just, I, yeah, it's a mystery to me as to how, why they were bad this game, basically. Um, Sam, do you have any answers? As I mean, like they weren't bad. This is the thing. They weren't bad. It's just that it was one of those games where they were coming up against a team who sat deep and defended largely for the, the most of the game. And they had a goalkeeper who was, who just had the game of her life. You know, it, it happens sometimes. It just so happened that it was this moment. And like, there were a, a good number of chances that Stina Blackstenius had where she, you know, any, any other day she buries them type of thing. And like, we've seen Matildas have that before, right? Like I, I remember the performance of Sam Kerr against South Korea, for example, in the Asian cup, you know, any other day she has three clear sh- chances that she buries and we don't have all the fallout that we had any other day. Black Stenius buries all of the chances that she's got. And we're not sitting here talking about what we're talking about. So that's what almost makes it less certain coming into the game against England because we, we don't, we don't know what, because both of these teams are, are so similar and they've gone through such but they've gone through such different things in the past game. You know, Sweden have had to find a way to break down a very defensive, um, very organised Belgium. And England have had to try and navigate the maze that is Spain. I think England have a better defence. I think England have a more diverse attack. And so because of that, I think they will edge Sweden but I don't think it's going to be by a lot because I think Sweden like you said Angela they're going to probably come out of this Belgian game feeling like they had to they had a point to prove and they have to do something more they have to find that other level again the way that England found theirs against Spain and maybe coming up against England will be the the pressurized scenario in which they find that next level and we see the kind of performance that we saw pretty consistently from them throughout the Olympics, say, you know, where they were just completely clinical and completely just scythed through every team that they came against. It was kind of miraculous. But I think that one of the standout players for Sweden, the player who pulls all the strings, the player who England need to be probably most wary of is Kosovar Aslani. She's just been stunning for them. She has done everything. She has covered every blade of grass. She has just yeah she she's completely lived up to I think her reputation um or even exceeded it because maybe she didn't have that big of a reputation for people who weren't really familiar with her already um and in this game against Belgium she was really really critical she was she was the Bon Marti basically of, of Sweden and she did everything that she could all the way down to the final all the way down to the goal you know she took the corner or the free kick I think it was or whatever to you know set up the circumstances for that goal so yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see the way in which she she clashes with Kira Walsh because I love Kira Walsh. Everyone knows I love Kira Walsh. I love a classy, classic, classy number six. Um, and those those two going head to head is just going to be yeah something to behold. So I'm I'm really really excited for this game. I think that in a different kind of way to England, the the, the excitement of England Spain because I think we knew it would be um, it, we sort of knew in England Spain that Spain would have more of the ball. And therefore England would set up in a certain kind of way, both England and Sweden, I think 
are more similar to each other in that sense. I don't think one or the other are going to be the more dominant or the more um, defensive in terms of possession. And so by virtue of that, I think it's going to be very attacking. It's going to be really transitional um, and it's going to be really fun. Hopefully there's a bunch of goals. Cause like, I love, I love a tight game. Of course it creates really good pressure. Great. creates great tension in a stadium, but I also want to see a bunch of really good goals. I feel like we've earned that. Mm-hmm. Also, do you reckon it's going to be a bit of crash bang? Because the England-Spain game towards the end there got quite gritty, maybe because of the high-pressure environment. But do you reckon there's going to be a bit of argy-bargy? Because I hope so. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I reckon, I reckon if, there has, if, there's not like a, if there's not a couple of goals that have been scored by like an hour, I reckon it's going to start to get pretty Georgia Stanway 1.0, you know? <laughs> Just go, just go so. clean them up and see what happens. Uh, yeah, I hope so. Not in any way that is dangerous. I just, I'd like to see a bit of nip. I think that could be really fun. And it makes the atmosphere so much more exciting when people hate the ref as well. So, well, there's a, there's a balance there, right? I would describe it as a bit, how you going? If it starts getting a bit, how you going? Then yes, that's what the, the people want. Anyway, there was one final quarterfinal This one, I feel, I wasn't 100% right, but I wasn't 100% wrong either. It was France winning 1-0 over the Netherlands. It was a Perisse penalty deep into, well, not deep into, in extra time. We had to go the full 120 to find a winner. Another really bizarre game where France were ridiculously dominant. The stats sheet reads unbelievably in favour of France. It was just such a weird game. It, I, I literally have written on my notes here, it simply makes no sense because it simply made no sense that France attacked that much and with that ferocity. And Angela, you pointed this out in the group chat. It almost feels like a little bit of a cop-out that they won via a penalty considering everything that preceded the penalty. I'm so angry, right, about this game. I'm just like Sweden, Belgium, sad. This game, I'm just, I'm angry about a lot of things. I just, <laughs> first disclaimer, drank more beer at this game than I have at other games. So that potentially influenced what I saw, how I saw it, how I responded to it in the moment. Uh, if you saw me screaming at the selection for player of the match, no, you did not. That was someone else. But I thought it was, but I thought it was incorrect. I thought, <laughs> anyway, I, not that Basha had a bad game or anything like that. No disrespect to her. I'm sure she's, she's, she's great, whatever. But that's the issue, okay? France were great. They played, they played sexy, right? But they didn't, they, the fact that they won on a penalty has made me so furious because they shouldn't have done that. They should have, they should have, it would have been more honourable for them to slaughter the Netherlands and they didn't. And so the fact that it was a penalty is just, I, it makes me really mad because I want, I want a Netherlands to win, but you could see that, but they've just had such a, you know, tournament. Um, and that's another reason why I'm kind of like, I'm not necessarily angry about that. I'm more like bemused. I, I don't really understand what's going on with them. Um, I was chatting. So my friend Ruth, she, got here on Saturday and we traveled from Manchester to Rotherham to get to the game because she was like I want to party with the Netherlands supporters just one time 
because she's been held up with Miss Coco. Anyway, so she's here and she got to see this game and then she gets to see her team just lose in a dismal fashion, I guess. But she was like, oh, they haven't been, they weren't good at the World Cup either. And I kind of have to, in, in hindsight, I'm like, okay, I kind of see what you're saying there. They, they weren't at the peak of their game, but they've dropped off even more, even though the playing group hasn't changed that much. And I just... I want to know what's happening, what Mark Parsons is telling them to do, what he is doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm blaming that man. What is, like, because, yeah, they just didn't, they weren't threatening really at all this tournament. And it's, I don't think it's just, you can't really say, oh, well, it's because it's Miramar had COVID. Like, I don't know if that's a good enough excuse when you have players like Vanderdorf, when you have players like Martins up until her getting an injury, when you have players like, um, Jackie Gordon, Jill Rod, like you know what I mean? Like they have the talent. Uh, this is this has gone like old man territory now, in terms of the the texture of this round. But my point is the fact that France won on a penalty that shouldn't have happened. It should, I I think, and I, I'm sure that they probably feel a bit annoyed about it too. <laughs> but it just felt a bit pathetic, to be honest. Um, and I hope that they actually score some goals next game but also I don't want them to win at this point uh, I'm off France <laughs> I'm very flaky it doesn't take much but um yeah and also I, I do wonder I think what we're talking about with Germany uh if they thought that I'm trying to think of which has been that Belgium was probably the most defensively challenging game for France um, but Germany is going to be a whole other ballpark, right? And so how are they, what What are they going to do? What can they bring out if they can't even score against the Netherlands? I will say, and also my player of the match was Van der, I can't say her name properly. I'm going to, Ruth has been trying to teach me. I can't do it. Van der Glach, Van der Glach, I thought she had a great game. She, and she was a big reason. And if we're talking about keepers as well, Van Dolchmuller. Dol, 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 you all know what I'm talking about. The tall lady in green. She had a great tournament and performance as well. Our gal Daff is what we should call. Our gal Daff. Yes. Uh, anyway, Sam, you probably have more measured takes <laughs> that weren't influenced by beer if you were drinking beer. No, I like the I like the balance that we've struck on this pod where Angela is sort of just the the vibes the vibes takes and then we sort of have to like pack in some analysis like around the vibes. I like that this is the balance that we've struck. I think that this is good. Um yeah, no, the goalkeeper I thought was sensational. There were a number of saves that she made, um, particularly towards the end of the game. There were two Wendy Renner headers, particularly the second one where she like she just launched her like you could see from the camera angle that Renard's header from a corner was going straight into the top pocket but the goalkeeper just she just came from nowhere she sprung from nowhere and somehow got her fingers to it and tipped it around the side of the post it was just incredible um but uh, like in the same way that Sweden Belgium was sort of you know a a a a like on any other day they should have won France Netherlands was on every on any other day they should have absolutely like killed them you know like if you look at the stats again 33 shots as well as Sweden Sweden also had 33 33 shots to nine 13 on target to one 
And that's just, I guess, another example of just how critical the goalkeeper was in this particular situation, 10 corners to five, you know, like they, they had so many chances and, and when they, they had so many like blatant chances as well. Like there was the Grace Gayoro header, which she would have buried any other day at the back post, but somehow went wide. There was a, a chance to, I think, uh, Mallard who, who just sort of found herself on the penalty spot with just acres of space in front of her and somehow shot straight at the goalkeeper, you know, like just so many moments like that, where the, like a, a degree or two, any other direction, the ball goes in. Um, but yes, I like, I, I, it's sexy football. I love France. I, I want, I want France to do well because their players deserve it because players like Renard deserve it. They've worked so fucking hard for such a long time and they are almost like, it feels like they're succeeding now, despite Corinne Diacre being there. Like they just sort of have to bring it out of themselves to try and make this thing work. How they're going to go against Germany without Marie Antoinette Cototo is going to be really interesting because I feel like she has not been replaced in that centre forward position, not just in terms of her ability to score goals, but in terms of what she does off the ball and the chemistry that she has with Diani and her ability to bring other players into, into things, particularly Delphine Cascarino. I think that since Cototo left, Cascarino hasn't quite been as effective on the wing as what she used to be. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be interesting. And I, I'm don't, I also don't really think that France come out of the midfield battle against Germany as the winners. I think Germany will sort of dominate in midfield and that's perhaps the reason that they'll win the game. But like, we have to talk about the Netherlands because the net, like, what has Mark Parsons done to them? Like, this is not the team or the performances that these players should be doing. Like, it reminds me so much of Norway. Norway have the players to be playing in a way that is so much better than what they are showing. They look so disorganized. Like, yes, Van der Graaf had a great game, but she, like, in, in all of the situations in which she stood out, there was just chaos around her, you know, like the Netherlands didn't seem like they knew what they were doing and, you know, her clearance off the line, for example, like, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's just, yeah, it's kind of shocking. And I almost feel bad for Viv because she was brought into this game coming back from COVID who knows what her actual sort of levels of fitness are, you know, like she could still be suffering from the consequences of having COVID. Um, But she, she just sort of ran around a bit and she didn't really, do a whole lot and and it's just it just feels like such a waste of talent to see them organized in this kind of way and playing this kind of football and I don't really think that you can put it down to Parsons maybe hasn't had enough time with them because you see someone like Weigman she's been there for less than a year and this is the way that England are playing you know like she's been able to institute a style and a system of play that gets the absolute maximum out of the talent that she has. And I don't think Parsons has done that. In fact, I think he's done the opposite almost. I don't think he's, um, he's, he really understands the kind of quality maybe that he's got and is sort of forcing them to play a, a kind of football that they are not used to and that they don't flourish in. And that's sad. It's always sad to sort of see that it's the same as Norway. So yeah. Anyway, that was a ramble, but I, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to France, Germany, because I think Germany is going to be the first real, the first real like holistic test that France are going to come up against this tournament. 
Austria, I mean, not Austria, Belgium, yes, was a defensive test, but I think Germany are going to be like the test everywhere and, and good because this is what these tournaments are about. You need to be the best team. You can't just be the best attacking team or the best defensive team. You have to be the best team. So it's, yeah, both of these semifinals are going to be absolute crackers. I can't wait. I guess just another mean take about Mark Parsons, which I, I said this in the group chat, but I guess the sense as well, it, it doesn't feel like this, Netherlands side of playing for him you know what I mean um and they totally. and I think that they that it's they come across as a very like close-knit team just generally and I think that's why a lot of people really love them as well because they they're a team's team you know but um yeah it's it's if if Serena Wagman is like they're doing it for her. They they were not doing it for Mark Parsons this tournament, and I think that's it. Is interesting with France as well because obviously there's all the stuff around the internal tensions there and uh, the relationship the players have with Corinne Dyaka, but um, you could still see that they're digging deep and that they play for each other. I think everyone just plays for Wendy Renard, right? That's what you want. <laughs> Which reminds me of that that little clip after the game where Wendy Renard is patting Daniel van der Donk on the head and Daniel van der Donk says to her, she's like, win the tournament. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I think that's really cute. I do agree, Sam. I'm not I'm not going to stay mad at France for long because I love Wendy Renard too much. But it, uh, yeah, with with the Netherlands, it's it's a weird one. I'd, does he stay on after this tournament? Sure, surely not, right? Surely this has, has to count as quite a bad showing. I guess in terms of if you look at how they got into where they got and how they crashed out. But anyway, and uh, the other thing as well, I guess, yeah, the the kind of decision-making around Miedemar playing 120 minutes when she just recovered from COVID, that's kind of been discussed online as well. And you do have to think about that. Anyway, I don't know Mark Parsons. Don't know the guy. Uh, don't, haven't had particularly strong feelings about him until this game, but now I'm kind of like, hmm. Mm. Things that make you go. <laughs> Things that make I you do go. Want, mm. Mm. Um, I do wonder what Dutch soccer Twitter was like. Were they kind of like imploding or did they kind of expect this? I don't know. I'm not on Dutch soccer Twitter. But fun little, just quick, far post trivia. I have a question for you. The player with the most shots at Euro 2022 so far, any guesses you would like to offer up, either of you? Oh, that's a great question. Shout out once again to Opta Analyst. I simply am living on their Twitter feed at the moment. Ooh, uh, I want to say Aslani. That's a good guess, but it is incorrect. Why am I offended? I'm, say... <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. You know it. <laughs> I am going to say Grace Gioro. Closer, but still no dice. The player with the most shots. Wendy, at Euro it's Wendy with the bonds. It's Wendy with the bonds. Is it Wendy Renard? Oh my god! Fifteen shots. <laughs> no goals. Fifteen shots. No goals. Literally, most of them. You know, as you literally just with the bonds, bonking them with her bonds. Um, has like an xG of one point six. Four games, lots of headers, lots, and you know, kind of from like penalty spot onwards. So it's not like they're 
long range efforts, but yeah, 15 shots, the most of any player at this tournament, but no goals either. So fun little trivia for you there. Um, for the let's do hours. This is why I love her. She is your favourite for a reason. But let's quickly do quick tips for these semifinals. So we have England, Sweden, Wednesday, 5 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, and then Germany, France, Thursday, 5 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. So quick tip, you simply need to say one team's name. So England, Sweden, Sam. England. Angela. England. Germany, France, Sam. Germany. And Angela, Germany. I also think, but it's this is, be. but this, but this is like, I but said this is not a one word time, and I didn't go that way. This is, not, this was what happens with me. I can't <laughs> predict things. The opposite is going to happen of both of those things. Like, but Sweden and France are now going to win both of these games. I've just, yeah, but I've I can predict things, Sam. So it's fine. <laughs> So we like cancel each other I'm out. We're like that now. scene from yeah. Avengers where it's like it's like the Captain America's shield and Thor's hammer and it just like clangs together and it just creates like a black hole. That's what we are. Yep. That's that's what's oh. gonna happen. The the Euro is actually it's it's all gonna fall into the ground. The games aren't actually gonna happen now. We've, we've cancelled the Euros. I'm sorry. <laughs> we've cancelled the Euros. <laughs> Too powerful we are. We've cancelled the goddamn Euros. <laughs> Who boy were we? So as I said at the top of the show, there are other international tournaments going on, so we'll just do quick wrap because, as I've said repeatedly, the Euros are really the only ones we can watch with any sort of, you know, ease. Um, but we had a winner at the Women's African Cup of Nations, so it's a huge congrats to South Africa. First-time winners, truly unbelievable. They have come second five times including most recently in 2018, which was the last WAFCON that was held because 2020 was cancelled due to the Roni. So a huge deal for South Africa, for South African women's football. They were so excited. As we've said previously, the the tournament's being hosted in Morocco. South Africa defeated Morocco 2-1. But the crowd, oh, my God, they were going off. It looked like such a great atmosphere. I know a lot of those people or Almost all of those people would be disappointed that Morocco didn't get up in the end. But huge, huge congrats to South Africa and huge congrats to Morocco because we will be seeing them next year at the World Cup. So it is very, very exciting for both of those teams. We're getting into the pointy end of both the Copa America and the OFC Women's Nations Cup. Chile has finished fifth. So they will be heading to the Intercontinental Playoff Tournament in New Zealand next year. Not not a great tournament from them. I think we all kind of assume that they're right up there in terms of South American nations, but they were not delivering at the moment. So we'll have to see if they can find a way to Australia and New Zealand through that intercontinental playoff tournament. We have two semifinals coming up, Colombia v Argentina tomorrow and then Brazil-Paraguay on Wednesday. So Brazil are looking the goods as they usually do. They are the most dominant team in South America. And then the OFC Women's Nations Cup, I was saying to Sam pre-record, first and foremost, want to give commiserations to Vanuatu. There were only nine teams at the OFC Women's Nations Cup and it was a quarterfinal. So a quarterfinal needs eight teams. So of the nine teams at the OFC Nations Women, uh, the OFC Women's Nations Cup, only one of them was not going to make it to a quarterfinal and that was Vanuatu. So poor one out, 
for our Vanuatu friends who were the only side to not make it to the quarterfinals. But we've got semifinals in that competition. It's Samoa taking on Papua New Guinea and Fiji hosting the Solomon Islands. So we're going to have a new winner in that tournament because New Zealand have not taken part in it, which means we will have a new champion in that tournament as we did in WAFCON. So very exciting. Another bit of fun trivia, because apparently I'm really missing trivia right now. Only three teams have ever won the OFC Women's Nations Cup. New Zealand, Australia. Any guesses for the third one? It's not who you think, because I was certainly surprised. I feel like I need to get some thinking music in here because I've been asking you guys too many trivia questions. That's a really good question. I, Why does Chinese Taipei come out of my brain that was a that's samantha nothing, lewis samantha <gasps> lewis no you've only gone and done it chinese taipei, taiwan it. taiwan used to be a member of the ofc so they have won the ofc women's nations cup so there's a fun little trivia fact for you once again Gosh. amazing <laughs> truly rem- like i said i looked at the wikipedia page and i was like well haven't i learned something today but as we said those tournaments will obviously once again have women's world cup ramifications so as we get closer and closer to finals we can talk about what's happening for 2023 for that intercontinental playoff tournament as well there's lots to look forward to but that is enough from us for this episode we will hopefully be back to review the semi-finals and then have another episode post euros final to wrap everything up and just have another high quality ding dong of a podcast thank you all so much for tuning in remember you can find us on espn.com.au and the espn app i've said it before i'll say it again friends of the pod sophie lawson and kathleen mcnamee are producing some absolutely cracking pieces on the ground so definitely check them out if you want to read some euros takes as well as listening to some euros takes from us uh we're on all the podcasty platforms your spotify's your apples your googles wherever you listen to them you can follow us subscribe leave a review if you like what we're doing angela is still doing all the things on social media so follow us at the far post pod to keep up with everything that she is getting up to but until next time slayers